Thank you, praise team, for leading us in song to remember both how great our God is and that we need God dearly, desperately, and daily. As we gather together today, the, the last Sunday uh, before Labor Day weekend, um, this is uh, the, the annual Letter Sunday, as I call it. Um, this week marked six years since I was installed here as one of the pastors of North Holland. And so at, at this point in time, every summer, I write a letter to the congregation. I save them. I, I kind of read back the last few each year. And it's a time to reflect and to wonder about current reality and God's emerging future. So I do invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. I'm not going to read it separately. I'm going to read the scripture passage in the context of the letter. But I invite you nonetheless to, to find it now. Uh, Romans is in the New Testament. So you'll find the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then the book of Acts, and then Romans. Um, the reason that Romans is the first letter in the New Testament, it's the longest. So Romans 12, 9 through 13. And just hold that spot. I'm going to sit on a stool and read a letter, and part of that's to break a trend. Um, I was told that, you know, usually when people do this, it's because they're offering like a resignation and they had to write down their thoughts to explain why they're leaving and all of that. That's not what this is. Um, for some of you, that's a relief. For some of you, you're just waiting for it to be for that, maybe. But not this year. So we'll, we'll raise the screen, hold your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, 9 through 13. And before we um, hear a letter and, and hear God's word woven into it, let's pray for God's blessing upon our hearts and minds. This is a part of the service where, where we ask the Holy Spirit specifically to move in our hearts so that we can hear God clearly. Let's pray. God, you love us so much that you wrote letters to us. You sent them through the words of the prophets. You sent them through people like Moses and Samuel. They tell the stories of people who led the church like the Apostle Paul and Phoebe and Junia, Deborah and Samson. You wrote us these letters that we collected together and put into the book that we call the Bible so that we can understand who you are, that we can understand what your expectations for us are, and so that we can move towards you for strength in every day through changing circumstances, through hard times in life that we can lean on you, through uncertain times in life that we can seek you and receive assurance that you are there, and through joyous times in life that we can be reminded to give all glory and honor and praise to you. So move in our hearts today that we can seek you and find you, that we can praise you, and that we can remember that the first letter ever written was your love letter to us, written on our hearts and sealed in the blood of Jesus. Speak, O Lord, for we, your servants, listen. Amen. My dear North Holland, I want to tell you a story about a younger time in my life. And guess what? Back then, there was no COVID-19. 
Social distancing was only a tactic for mean kids, excluding people from their group. And masks were primarily for surgery and Halloween. Oh, those were the days. I was still a young man growing up on a farm in Indiana and finding myself always in mischief, but never in trouble. Meaning, I rarely got caught, and if I did, it didn't always stick. I lived in DeMott, a town full of tall Dutch people with a rigorous work ethic. So you can understand, in my demographic at church and at school, I didn't actually think that I was that tall. This might be a surprise for some. I mean, a few inches on my classmates was one thing, but I wasn't particularly tall, nothing special. One summer, as we did on many summers, we went out to New Jersey to visit my aunt and uncle and cousins on the East Coast. Now, they had a Nintendo 64 and an in-ground pool. Big stuff. So when I was younger, if you asked me where my favorite vacation destination was, I would tell you, New Jersey! People always thought that was weird, and they were right. But we went into New York City one of those years, and I remember being a little bit anxious about that, because I don't really like cities. I probably never will. I self-describe as having metropolitan anxiety. And my uncle was trying to help out, um, particularly for, you know, nervous country kids. And he gave us some pointers about going into the city that were strategically helpful, but once again only increased my anxiety. One, don't look at people. If you make eye contact with panhandlers, they'll probably follow you. Which I'm like, what? Two, don't let anyone run into you because pickpockets will bump into you so that they can grab your wallet without you knowing. Now I'm really feeling at ease. Three, rainbows are not signifying Noah's Ark. Don't ask. Okay. Once again, a little bit uh, behind the times. Four, I don't remember what number four actually was, but I remember being all the more freaked out and just wondering, why are we even going into this wretched city? Couldn't we just stay here so that I could go swimming and play Goldeneye on the Nintendo 64? But we went. And for a whole bunch of irrelevant reasons and side stories, I'm glad that we did. But let me tell you one thing that I learned while in New York City for the first time. I am tall. This was a revelation to me. You laugh, but this blew my mind. I was only about 6'1", 6'2", at the time, but I realized that outside of the little enclave in which I grew up, going to somewhere like New York City with the world's population on display, my height made me a giant. I never realized this before. Plus, my whole family was just a wall of tall. My uncle and my dad, a solid 6'6", my sisters are 6'4", and 6'2", my mom was the shorty at 5'11". We frightened people. <laughs> and you know you're tall in New York when the panhandlers spread out before you because you freak them out. We were supposed to get mobbed in the subways. Instead, it was like the parting of the Red Sea because everyone's like, good heavens, where did these monsters come from? Northwest Indiana. Were we trying to be scary? The flock of giant devrices? No. We were just being us.
We weren't trying to stand out. We weren't trying to be a spectacle. We were just existing as we were. Not trying to be anything special, and yet we're a spectacular scene to behold. And I realized, I am tall. More significantly, we are tall when I'm with my family of gigantors. Six years of pastoring here among you. And I must say, North Holland, you are a family of gigantors. You can write that down for a note. And I don't mean that in terms of physical height, not in the least, but rather by an assessment of church that I'll read in just a minute. We collectively, as a family, as a family of God, are giants. This church stands out in some significant ways that should not be overlooked. And that's part of why I do this annual letter, to point out some of those highlights, to remind us just on a a normal Sunday that there is kindness here that stands out. Hospitality, a whole bunch of delicious food. I've witnessed or helped others facilitate extraordinary gestures of support and kindness that I've sworn that I've been sworn to secrecy on a desire to help those in need and to do so behind the scenes I've seen a disappointment when we're not sure how to help those in need because our hearts are for one another generosity abounds here in time and talent and treasure and there is an industrious and creative spirit among the people of North Holland. This is all part of our DNA as a church that's 168 years old. And I would say, we're not trying to stand out. We aren't trying to be a spectacle. We are just existing as we are. Not trying to be anything special and yet are a spectacular scene to behold in the right ways. Hear these words from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, as a vision of church. And and just for a moment, let all of the COVID anxiety and political upheaval and racial turmoil be on hold. And wonder with me in a spirit of holy wonder, if you've ever seen a glimpse of this at North Holland Reformed Church. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And never be lacking in zeal, but keep that spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you are convinced that this description doesn't fit North Holland in any way, please call me this week so that we can set up a time to get coffee or lunch. And let me fill you in on the lens with which I get to view this congregation. Though I do see the worst of the worst, 
I also get to see the best of the best. And I believe often life is what you make of it. And a lot of that comes down to choosing what you make count. And I will count the best of the best. I will cling to what is good in how I think about this place and these people. Now, are we perfect? Of course not. The dividing lines of our country split us up too. And there are times that social media, or perhaps anti-social media, makes my heart hurt because of the division that is so strong and the ways in which that can sometimes make our love, compassion, and empathy rather weak, even among our own membership, when we differ in our opinions, and those opinions are strong. And yet, with mutual convictions clashing, I still see glimpses of love, of hope, and of compassion. At a kickball game last week, where the consistory did totally win against the youth group, though 5-3 to three isn't a blowout by any means, um, and if the youth group does come up with another challenge to another group or the same group, the call will be answered. But it's not about the kickball game. It never really was. It's in the conversations, the fellowship, the camaraderie. And admittedly for some, it was maybe the first social gathering since mid-March. And there was a simple joy in seeing people enjoying a day together out in God's beautiful creation with people that we care for and who can care for us. I see the same care in smaller group settings. Even after some of our craziest, busiest Wednesday nights of exhausting activity, when it's over, people would just hang out, talking, catching up, listening, encouraging, yelling at our kids to stop running around while being too caught up in our own conversations to realize just how bored we were making them while they were waiting for us. Or after a meeting of any kind here, when the business agenda is complete and the agendas matter, plans have to be made, things have to be followed through on, but after the agenda is complete and people are free to go, they stay anyway. We're drawn to these moments of connection and conversation. It's a story of two deacons who uh, met in the parking lot so long after every single meeting that their wives finally said, guys, just, just go out and get a drink afterwards. You're not going to come home till 11 anyway. Just make it a thing. And reflecting on all of these points, it points something out to me. And it reminds me of a simple truth that we can lose sight of in the midst of all the ways in which we make ourselves busy. We don't come to church for business agendas and to make ourselves busy. At least we don't want to, even if that's sometimes the habit we make and even if that is sometimes necessary. We come to spend time among spiritual giants who walk among us. We come here to fellowship, to cling to what is good when we are weary of all of the evil around us. We come here because we find ourselves receiving hospitality and learning from others how to show it ourselves. And we come here to be honored as a person worthy of dignity and to hear that whisper of God in our hearts saying, you are worthy, you are loved, and you matter. 
It's hard to hear that voice when we are just so busy. And we were busy. And then around mid-March, everything came to a screeching halt. Now, if you're looking for someone to blame, with some permission, I'm going to offer you a scapegoat today on who to blame all of COVID and all of its impact on for church. Monica Swiftney. Here's why. Here's why. Hear me out on this. We're just going to go off script for a minute. So we had a Churches Learning Changes, Churches Learning Change meeting in February. And at that meeting, we were observing our current reality and tallying up how many volunteer hours go into all of the things that we do week by month by year. And Monica, though she doesn't remember saying it, I guarantee you she does. She, she did say it said, I wish we could just stop everything and restart it slowly and intentionally. Be careful what you wish for. God listens to the righteous and to those who play the violin. So it happened, and keep in mind, this is all very short-sighted because the impact is on the whole world, not just on us. But what was said at that meeting came true. Everything stopped. And then the big wheels had to slowly start turning again. We had to figure out what mattered most to start again. So what do we do now in COVID times of 2020? Well, first we grieve what we've lost. We cling to what matters most. And we get creative about delivering on what we can. And we do all of this while, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, honoring one another, which means respecting different levels of caution that are not our own, finding ways to support each other regardless of where we find ourselves on the spectrum of response. And we remember, we remember even this year of 2020, that it's not all bad. It's not all bad. It's not all bad to have a reset moment in something like the church. In fact, if you read any leadership literature, either church or secular, from Willow Creek gurus or Andy Stanley or Heifetz and Linsky and Kuss and Posner, they will all tell you the same thing about the pandemic's effect on institutions and groups. It won't create anything new. It will reveal what was already under the surface. This time in our church's life, things that are under the surface get revealed and stirred up to the top. And what was under the surface? In our current reality before mid-March, when the world kind of shut down, I'd like to offer two key takeaways that I think have risen to the surface for us and present us with both challenge and opportunity. One is that under the surface, we were tired. It's no secret that we have run programs hard and fast for years. And if you're involved in one way here, in one thing, you're probably involved in multiple areas. And that has led to fatigue. That leads to a continuous and desperate scramble to get enough volunteers and it builds up a resistance to that ask that is presented for volunteering. 
because we're all so busy in everyday life and we just don't want church to be one more thing that makes us so busy. We don't want church to be that one more thing that's just a calendar filler. We need to be poured into just as much as we are always pouring out. I think it's also, from some conversations, has led to some bitterness for long-standing volunteers. They look around and notice that they keep seeing themselves with all the same people at, like, everything. And you get just a little bit jaded, asking, aren't there, like, 50 other people who could help share this load? It's a recipe for burnout. But we're North Holland, and we're industrious, so we just kind of keep on doing. But we get tired of doing for others instead of with. You get tired of doing things for people instead of with people. And there's no shortage of asking for the for. Can this be done for me? Can this be offered for One of our challenges will be to recover a stronger sense of with. It could alleviate our continuous scramble and begging, pleading, and occasionally bribing for volunteers. This year, it won't all quite look the same. And once again, that's not all bad. That's not even because of COVID or government regulations. It's because COVID gave people a break from being so busy at church. And in that break, a resounding voice came through. We've been tired. And right now we're stressed. Because we have things we love to do here, but we can't keep making ourselves so frantically busy in one more area of life. So we hold on to the core of what is needed. We cling to what is good. We must continue to invest in others. Find ways to stay connected in the right ways and choose involvements that are meaningful and life-giving, edifying for the church and personally satisfying. That's not all bad, though there is still some loss. Even if you feel that everything and every program needs to be exactly the same this year, let me tell you, friend, unless you can multiply yourself, it ain't happening. In the survey results, and we'll share more of that as we go, In the survey results, I traced back through the answers that one family um, who said they're just not coming back for a little while. They signed their name so we could figure out where they were at. And I took a moment and thought through all of their involvements. And I counted five pretty easily. You eliminate two adults with five volunteer roles, and you're going to have to adapt. You get eight or nine families in that same spot, And you will change the landscape of what's possible to do here. And once again, that's not all bad. There's a commitment to stay connected. People will do what they can as they figure out school and work and everything else that's weird and stressful right now. People will stay connected. But it'll look different. But here's the second thing that's under the surface. One, we've run programs hard and fast, and people got tired and burned out. And here's the second. Under the surface, not everyone is as connected as we would like to believe. Not everyone has their people to reach out to or that reach out to them. 
Not everyone has their group to chat with after a meeting or after service or after any shared involvement. And now some of that is individual responsibility and ownership. You won't build relationships without shared involvements and some aspect of participation in the life of the church. But, as we've run programs hard and fast for a long time, it was pointed out in February, pre-COVID, if you're not interested in teaching or helping in a classroom with children, you might find it difficult to get connected or involved. Other areas of the church and involvements, well, some things are hard to jump into if you're not invited personally. And it's hard to accept an invitation from someone that you don't really know, and it's hard to accept that invitation for a commitment that you're actually not sure about. There is a big difference between being told that you are welcome and being personally invited. There is a difference between told that you're welcome and being personally invited. And that gap emerges. If you're connected, you've got your people. You might take for granted how easy it is to get people together for a shared purpose. And if you're not quite as connected, even church, even church, a group gathering, can be a lonely place. And it's easy to say, get to know some people. But it's a lot harder to know exactly how. If you're going to jump into a classroom or commit to a mission trip. With those two things in mind... I realize those can hit some heaviness. Maybe there's already some resistance. Maybe you want to tell me this week, you're wrong. And I will listen. And I've also listened to the same conversations that have led me to say, there's something to this. What can this year look like? How do we address a wide spectrum on our own survey results of what are you looking for and what are you willing to jump in on? How do we look, how do we be the church to and for and with one another when we really do need each other right now? How do we rethink involvements when programs maybe aren't going to be quite the same? And how do we commit to that full-fledged definition of the church as found in the book of Acts that we've spent the summer going through, devotion to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer? In short, we grow small. We grow small. Not in numbers of, of people leaving or abandoning or moving on, but in what we do, we grow small. See, I truly believe that spiritual giants walk among us here. I believe that wisdom and compassion abound among people here. And I believe that many who are struggling would benefit a great deal from having a personal encounter with some other folks who can walk with them in their walk with God. But that doesn't happen at random. It requires us to be intentional about how we grow small, to not just hope for the best on Sunday morning after church, that people will connect with who they need to, I do think God has a way of arranging such moments. But I also can observe human behavior. After surveys goes the observation of human behavior to notice that 
not everyone has a connect point or a person. And so right now, it's kind of a walk in, walk out, and leave. There's some simple things to do. To bring coffee back, meet outside for some more things. But beyond just the Sunday morning, to find ways to schedule out some time in smaller groups, smaller settings where we can devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer, and to do so in intergenerational fellowship. Not something that we all do for someone else, but something we do with one another. Now, the invite, as we get into this, will come from church, but it will still be up to you to decide what you make of it. Do you want to get together with some folks that you know, or maybe get to know some people that you don't? Maybe there will be a resistance because I've already got my people. Maybe there will just be simple fear of, I don't know what I'm getting myself into. A huge benefit to growing small is that we can do things in group sizes that can include more people. People who aren't ready to be here in this group. Things that we can do outside on the beautiful campus that we have that we cannot take for granted. Complete with a new fire pit and a pavilion. And in my spare time, I've been clearing trails out through the backwoods. There's going to be some amazing scavenger hunts. And probably one or two kids will get lost for a little while. That's okay. We'll find them. I've even got a drone. It's fine. This is our best response to survey results that take into account a wide spectrum of what people are ready for right now. It will push us to answer the question how we can honor one another, respecting each other's boundaries, and still find ways to be connected. Here's the catch, though. It won't be the whole congregation at a time. It might not be your people. Or you might wonder, am I going to actually like these folks? That's exactly the point. Because, friends, if we believe half of what we say about what the church is as the body of Christ, these are all your people, here and online. We are all each other's people, even if we're not all the closest of personal friends. But where there might not be friendship, there still needs to be a relationship. And, and so often in situations that I observe, I, I just wish there were some people that could connect and spend some time together. So Sunday morning will continue to be worship. It's a central part of church. But I would say expect some creative turns in other ways that we learn to be the church with one another. It'll still be the definition of church that we've studied here. Stay curious and be ready to have a little fun. You might get to know some people that very well might change your life. And you never know what God might be up to, both around you and in you. So friends, remember this. We are people who believe in resurrection hope. Resurrection hope. And remember, resurrection comes after death. After Christ's death, there was resurrection. 
We are learning every day what Jesus meant when he said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. There are plenty of things that have fallen to the ground and died. And that's not all bad. If we have a commitment to resurrection hope that brings us forward. Though there is pain, because there is loss, there is also hope. One thing that Caitlin and I learned this past year, last fall was rough. We thought 2020 would be a whole lot better. It's not. We went from her great-grandma dying to her grandpa dying to her dad dying. Back and forth, I felt scattered between, am I in Iowa or am I in Michigan? But one thing that we learned in the midst of grief was that life will continue around you, and that's sometimes really hard. And what you need is something, at least one thing, to be looking forward to. We found that here by some people who cared for us in specific ways. We found something to look forward to, to to keep moving with life, when we just kind of wanted life to stop around us. But that's not how it works. Let's cultivate what we can, what we can live and grow and yield in spaces even of death, death of expectations, death of some of our routines, death of some of how we've always done things. After all, every funeral we have is a time of loss and grief, but it's also a time to remember what matters most. Since last year, we still had our fair share of funerals. Starting in August of last year from when I wrote this letter, Marilyn Kuman, Nell Glass, Jan Nienheis, my father-in-law, Mike Kreienbrink, Evelyn Brower, Ken Osink, Elmer Veldheer, and Leona Folkert. All of them have died since this last year. That's hard. Death is normal and natural, and it is inevitable unless Christ returns before you die. But it's still sad. But we call on each other to be the church with each other in a specific way during times of grief, like a funeral, that we know how to do. Friends, our world has no shortage of grief today, but it's not all found in funerals. And the need for Jesus and for connection and spiritual giants who walk among us has never been higher. And remember, you don't know what God is up to. But will you come and see? Come and see what might happen if you were invited. Will you help the church in that way to grow small? in the spaces where relationships are built, where connection is fostered, where spiritual health is vitalized, where prayer is personal and learning is deep. These are the spaces that we desperately need. 
as we try to grow small. We will also be keeping it simple this year because even as spiritual giants who walk among us here, we're not trying to stand out, North Holland. We're not trying to be a spectacle. We are just existing as we are and sharing that experience with the world. Not trying to be anything special and yet are a spectacular scene to behold when the church is the church. Where such an audacious description as this one from Romans 12 would fit who we are as a family of spiritual giants. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Grieve with those who grieve. And overcome evil with good. Amen. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us to see the road ahead, even when it's uncertain. And help us to fulfill what you have called us to and equipped us for in your word, that we can overcome evil with good, that we can be connected with one another, but not for connection's sake, but so that we may be connected with you in ways that matter, in ways that we need, in ways that are life-giving and personally fulfilling, even as they are edifying and building up the whole church. For plans, for strategies, for brainstorming, give us grace and creativity. But for commitment, for love, and for hope, fill us with your Holy Spirit, that as we look back over this past year, things that none of us could have guessed occurred, May we also look forward and remember that there is good that you will do more than any of us could ask or imagine or hope for. Find us in ways that are faithful to keep us headed towards that good, both now and forever. Amen.